Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, yoga revealers, and aloha from beautiful Maui, Hawaii. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, and I am so excited to have you tune in to the podcast today. I feel so fortunate to have aligned with a teacher's teacher, Eddie Modestini, who is devoted to following his life's mission of transmitting the wisdom of yoga, mindfulness, healing through self-reliance, and so much more. All of these are just a few facets that enter our lives when we hold yoga up to our eye, just like a prism, awakening the infinite potential in evolution through the study and the practice of yoga. This is a new fresh episode coming to you from Eddie's personal yoga shala here on Maui. Stay tuned for this episode to hear how we can integrate yoga into our being as a lifestyle that brings us all the way down into what we eat and how we show up in daily endeavors. The practice of the asanas gives you the, the format to study yourself. That's basically what we're doing. We're studying ourselves. When you practice asana, what doesn't belong falls away naturally. It drops away. What doesn't belong in your being gets pushed out of your being by the prana that you're generating through the energy that you put into your practice. Enjoy this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast and wait until the end to hear about where Eddie is teaching in America. Namaste, Yoga Revealers. This is Alec Vishal Rubin. Happy to welcome you back to the podcast. Today, it is such a blessing and a pleasure for me to land on the beautiful islands of Maui, Hawaii, and sit across from my teacher, my mirror, and someone who has greatly influenced and polished the depth of understanding and what is possible in this beautiful lifestyle and practice that so many of us have devoted and dedicated ourselves to. Eddie Modestini, thank you so much for 
bringing me back here to Maui and uh, taking this amazing intensive that we're about to drop into together and bringing me into your house, inviting me to India with you to study from now, I can say our teacher Arun and uh, changing my life. It has been such a blessing and an honor to understand what is possible through friendship, through teachership, through studentship, through uh, being a human being through meeting you. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast too, again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So <clears throat> it's been an inspiration to watch you um, transition in mm. your practice and to grow as an individual. I mean, really, um, you got an injury <laughs> in a sport and the practice that you were practicing was breaking down that injury and I gave you some feedback and you immediately saw some sense in it and took responsibility and healed yourself you know so that's really um, mm. that's what yo that's the essence of yoga that's what yoga is mm. yoga is self-reliant healing and that's um, <clears throat> that's what I did with it that's what I try to help other teachers do with it and other students do with it is utilize the tools specifically for ourselves so that we could heal ourselves, so that we could show up for our family, for our friends, for this earth. Mm. Wow. Beautiful intro. Wow, it's amazing. So before we get too far into this uh, transmission of yoga, which I feel is just the epitome of your essence as a human being. That is what your gift to this world is. That is what your dharma is. You're living it. You've been living it. And it's beautiful to bear witness and be a part of that with you. Before we get too far into it, um, for our listeners, this is our third time on the podcast. So if you've never heard of Eddie Modestini, scroll back down and listen to his first story. It was released last year in June, and then Eddie and I did another interview in India together, which was so powerful. And in this one, we're focusing on yoga lifestyle and what that means to be a yogi in this modern sense and how we can hold integrity as practitioners, as teachers, as we seek to live yoga. So one of the first questions is, I would say, Eddie, is can you just give us a brief synopsis of how long you've been practicing, what your intention is as a student, and what your intention is as a teacher? Um, I've been practicing for 30... Hey, what's today's day? Today's um, July 1st. Today's July 1st, 2017. Okay, just, that's, that's a threshold for me. Uh, I've been practicing 34 years. Today. Today. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, my first class was July 1st. And um, it was... It, it rocked my world. It really saw me that... It, it, it showed me... I was searching for about a year for something to help heal my back, for someone to help heal my back, to get out of back pain. And it was July 1st that uh, 
a teacher that I was studying with, meditation and Tai Chi, said, you need to try yoga. And so it was on July 1st that I started. And um, what do I, what was the second part of that question? What, what is your intention as a student and what is your intention as a teacher? My intention as a student is to grasp as clearly as I can what the teacher is trying to transmit. <clears throat> there are many different forms of teaching. Um, you could demonstrate, which is a visual teaching. You could articulate, you could talk, which is a descriptive teaching, an auditory teaching. You could physically adjust a student, which is a tactile teaching. Many teachers use all three. Some just are prone to go to one or the other. Um, but what I try to do is I try to use all three in observing exactly what the teacher is trying to transmit. That's what's most important for me as a student. And then to try to use that as a springboard to explore my own universe as a yogi. Mm. Um, so that's, that's what's important for me. Mm. Awesome, Eddie. That's an amazing intention to settle with that I feel like you have navigated over the course of your years in practice to harness and access. So that's, that's really clear. It's so amazing for us to hear that and receive that. And, you know, you, you've traveled the world teaching yoga and specifically we were in India together from uh, November, December, and then you stayed there in January of 2017. And post India, you were traveling through America and parts of Canada, teaching your intensives and some workshops. And from the communities and the, the groups of yogis that you taught, what is something that you think could be focused on, on, you know, a greater level? And what is something that these yogis need to consider, or not need to, but ought to consider as we're carrying forward into our practice? Well, you know, yoga in America, in North America, in, in the world, has become a form of exercise. It's being seen that way. The most popular system of yoga is physically strenuous. It's called vinyasa yoga. That has more students than any other system in, <clears throat> in a group. There are many different forms of vinyasa yoga. So yoga has become an exercise. But if you look to the definition of yoga, it's to quiet the mind. Mm -hmm. It's to cease the agitations. So, in this modern society, 
we are trained to be distracted right from the beginning. As there is so much that it, that is changing for us all the time in our visual spectrum, in our ears, in all of our senses. There's constantly this agitating change that's consistent. You know, back in the day when yoga started, the most agitating change might have been a storm or a big wind or a dangerous animal. But, you know, so that's very few things. Now, you know, we grow up with a flat screen, a two-dimensional flat screen trying to explain a story. Mm -hmm. And they find that people, <clears throat> you know, the study of uh, commercials, the way to sell things, has led to you maintain the most attention from an individual if you keep flashing different images on the screen. And we're, we've accommodated to that. That's our orientation in this day. And what that does, it, it builds stress. And stress is really a big part of what we're dealing with now in yoga. And stress is extremely distracting. It, <clears throat> so I find what people need or what people lack the ability in when I go around and teach yoga is to be able to be still and concentrate and really concentrate on what's happening in the moment. Even when people are listening, a lot of them are thinking about what happened and what's going to happen. But it's learning how to drop people into the present. That's one of the reasons why I loved studying with Arun so much. Um, is that in all his beginning classes, I don't know if you even noticed this, but we took a lot of different levels of classes mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And in all the beginning classes, the emphasis was on twists. So twists bring you into the present moment. Forward bending works out future karma. Backward bending works out past karma. Each pose has a different um, journey. Each different asana has a different journey. And so depending on what's going on, beginners need to be in and most of the people that I teach are beginners except for like this month I'm teaching a teacher's intensive so that's not really beginners that's for people that are already teaching hmm. um, it's not a teacher training there's not going to be practice teaching I'm not teaching you how to be a teacher anymore I, I, I don't want to I don't think that's capable in three weeks um I did for a long time. 
and I tried. And uh, I'm actually initiating a new program, which is going to be over a much longer period of time with regular visits, mm. you know, to come in once a month for, you know, a certain amount of time. I think it's 22 hours mm. once a month and really do some concentrated work and then have the students go home and assimilate just that little 22 hours and myself too, just to work on those 22 hours and then see what that brings and watch the evolution of the teacher instead of throwing somebody through a 200-hour training where most of the information goes right by and then at the end of the training they're like okay go out and teach and it's like well, what what did we do um it's hard it's hard to take in that much information the 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 the, the practice of yoga is very 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 deep mm. it's got a really high ceiling mm. it's actually you know the practice of asana i should say and then the transmission of asana. But yoga, in its sense, is a lifestyle. Asana is just part of the eight limbs of yoga. But, you know, yoga is a lifestyle. It's the way we live all the time. Not just when we walk into the studio. Or when we're in the health food store and we run into students, you know. <laughs> it, but it's the way we are in our homes. It's the way we are in traffic. It's the way we are on that long line on Friday afternoon at the bank waiting to deposit the check when you have to get groceries and get home and feed the kids. It's, it's how we deal and it's the asanas that give us the platform to learn how to live the, the yogic lifestyle. Mm. So Patanjali, who is so beautifully depicted right next to us in this yeah, tanka that I believe you made with Mr. Richard Freeman. Tanka, yeah. Well, Richard and I designed it with Krishnamacharya's face, uh, the likeness of Krishnamacharya's face. But we made one mistake. We, you know, we 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 made the tail seven seven different layers, and it's only supposed to be three and a half. So, so he's standing very tall. So he's standing very <laughs> tall, and that's because both of us were practicing Ashtanga Yoga at the time. Yes. But everything else is accurate. Okay. Well, Patanjali, to my understanding, says that only the first petals, the first five limbs of yoga, is what is practiced on a um, more tangible physical level and then the last three are more subtle, internal and um, how to say heady perhaps and uh, as you just said the asana is one of the primary facets of where someone would begin like you know what are some other um, suggestions that you would have for someone who is deeply interested to start yoga and to integrate it into every 
opportunity in life that is outside of the yoga studio? Well, yoga gives you the practice of the asanas gives you the, the format to study yourself. That's basically what we're doing. We're studying ourselves. That's, um, and, you know, although like with the eight limbs of yoga, there's an order of them, right? They say yama and niyama are the first two. That's the moral and ethical disciplines. There are 10 in total in those two spokes. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third is asana. <clears throat> but two of my teachers, BKS Iyengar and Patabi Joyce, both have said that if you wait to practice asana until you're completely clear with yama and niyama, you'll never practice asana. It's so they both, in a sense, they both kind of said that asana comes before yama and niyama. Because when you practice asana, what doesn't belong falls away naturally, it drops away. What doesn't belong in your being gets pushed out of your being by the prana that you're generating through the energy that you put into your practice. And so, in a sense, Patabi Joyce and Mr. Angar both transmitted to me that you do your asana practice and what doesn't belong will leave, which is, has a lot to do with yama and niyama. Whether it's comeliness of mind, or heart, or body, or the way, or if it's your moral ethic, uh, disciplines, the way you are thinking, and um, how you carry yourself through life. So they said, you know, Patabi Joyce would say, do your practice and all is coming. Mr. Angar said, what doesn't belong will leave if you do the asanas. You don't have to force something because you think you shouldn't be this way mm. because it won't actually leave when you just give that thought pattern to it. You, there, there is a natural unwinding, so to speak, in the asanas. So I consider the asanas the first limb, personally, of the eight limbs of yoga. And, you know, then after that you have pranayama, pratyahara, dhyana, dharana, samadhi. Um, so they all do ride on each other, but you cultivate yama niyama in asana. You cultivate them. And it's a lifelong practice. Hmm. So that's a nice segue into focusing on one of the aspects of this being a lifestyle and personal practice. 
So what could we say? Like, how does response versus an awareness of reaction show up while in the practice of asana? Well, a reaction to in an asana might be, this hurts, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not doing that pose anymore. I don't like that pose. That is kind of a reaction where it's probably the pose that you need the most because you found something in there that is in the way, whether it's agitation or severe pain or congestion. Hmm. And the practice of asana gives you the opportunity to um, work with those things that can make you sick. Congestion. You know, stagnation is one of the leading causes of sickness. A lack of movement. So, in yoga, there's a lot of movement. And it's not just of the skeleton, but it's really of the organs. It's not just the muscles and the bones that we're interested in moving. It's we open our muscles and our joints so that we can move our organs and keep them decongested, congestion-free, flowing, open, so that life and vibration and energy can pass through all our organs as well as our you know as our skin the skin you know we start at the skin it's the, it's the easiest thing and it's a great way to read the body you to, you know to want to learn how to read the body you watch the relationship between somebody's skin and bones and muscles you watch that, which is very much on the surface. But yoga is the inward journey. We're, we're trying to arrive in our deep organs. And the deepest of all the organs are the endocrine system. You know, so first we might be, de- we might be decongesting our liver in, and our pancreas in twists as a beginner. But as we become more and more adept and we, get, we strengthen our spine more and more and we open up the restriction in our shoulders and our hips, then we get the ability to work with the endocrine organs, which are the seven master glands of the body, which have been associated with the chakras. But these master glands dictate metabolism in the entire being so everything really comes from the endocrine system and yoga with the combination of the two most important poses headstand and shoulder stand regulates all these organs and hormones so that we which are the messengers so that we can stay in a state that is harmonious, that is unreactive, that is responsive, then the, the difference between reactivity 
and responsiveness, you could feel exactly the same thing in a pose and run from it or relax into it. So if you can learn how to stay in that sensation and figure out a way to allow it to change, which might be a minor adjustment, a change in the breath, it might be letting go. You know, we might not even realize how much we're holding back. I believe that the asanas hold a tremendous intelligence inside them. That the asanas are my teacher. They're, they're the way that I pray. And the, they answer. You know, when you go to pray, you're usually asking God for something. And when you go into an asana, you go in and just look. And it usually reveals something to you that is personal to you. That's why a personal practice is so important. And I think the single most important thing for the yogic lifestyle, to talk about lifestyle, is the difference between going to class and practicing in your own home. This is my practice room. This is where I practice. It's different from my yoga studio. I teach in my yoga studio, I practice in my yoga studio, I study in my yoga studio. But a personal practice, this is a room set aside just for practice. And that's where it all gets very personal. And that's what it's about. It's about getting personal. The practice reveals the pathway to a yogic lifestyle. Mm. The practice reveals a gateway for us to integrate this into our lives. Yeah, because, you know, you see yourself react. I, I you know, there's a lot of people demonstrating on poses these days on Instagram and Facebook and you know, doing these fancy things. And um, you might have been a gymnast and become very adept at handstands. And then all of a sudden, you take a 200-hour training and you say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm now a yoga teacher. And all you teach is handstands. But if you go to the hips, and because you've sat on a couch, your whole life, your hips are really stiff. There's no balance. This is Hatha Yoga. Hatha Yoga. It's the balance between the sun and the moon that all systems are practicing. Whatever the name of the yoga is in front of yoga, it's all Hatha Yoga. So, you know, Hatha Yoga, even Raja Yoga, uh, Kundalini Yoga, they're, they're, the precepts of those practices 
are to balance the energy between the radiant and the reflective. That's the radiant energy and that's the reflective energy. And that's what a yoga practice reveals to you. When you're in a class, you're only reflective. You're only taking in what somebody else's experience is. But when you're in your practice, you can start to be a balance between these two, where you'll start off with a, here's, here's, here's an idea. Mr. Iyengar was asked in a question and answer period one time, what do you do when you wake up and you don't feel like practicing? You know, this is one of the most practiced individuals in the world, right? Practiced until, you know, and the day he died, like right up to the end, and started when he was 13, I believe, um, because of sickness. So for 81 years, this man practiced yoga every day, every day. And so his answer was really interesting. He says, the days that I really don't want to practice, I try to quiet myself and I think of one pose. And I go in my yoga room and I do that one pose. And usually that leads me to the next pose, which is the radiance of the practice. Right? That's the radiance of the practice because the practice brought him to the next step. Right? And, but, but if it doesn't, if I still don't feel like practicing after that one pose, I did a yoga practice that day. I practiced one pose. And something, you know, this man had the ability to stay in one pose for an hour or, you know, <laughs> or several hours. But, you know, even if it was just, you know, a five-minute Bharat Vajasana. You know, I asked Arun, um, what did you have for breakfast this morning? He said, Bharat Vajasana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good breakfast. Is that all? No. After? Padmasana. <laughs> then? More coming. See, he, he loves Parvrita Janashirsasana so much that yeah, he does. That's probably where he goes every day, eventually. Doesn't necessarily start there, but I've caught him in Parvrita Janashirsasana more than any other pose. That <laughs> wow. That is a beautiful offering when we want to practice, but we don't just to do one pose. And I, I agree with that. I've done that before. I totally feel that I didn't, but I had to do one pose and it led me to maybe just one more pose. That's very um, interesting answer indeed. Um, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for going into the navigation of response and reaction in an asana practice. That's a beautiful way that we can go deeper into ourselves in yoga. You know, some people really love to practice what they're good at. That's not my 
particular personality. Maybe it's because of my sun sign, I'm a Capricorn. Maybe because my personality. But my practice didn't focus on what I was good at. My practice focused on what was most difficult for me. And it might have been my teachers. Because Mr. Iyengar always pushed me into my problem areas, mm. my difficult areas. At first it was shoulder stand. He'd hold me up in shoulder stand forever. And, you know, which felt like forever. Now it's probably, you know, three minutes, it's nothing. You know, because now at this point, after 34 years, I have a 45 minute shoulder stand. And it's, you know, I usually restrict it to 40 minutes shoulder stand so that I could do headstand for 20 minutes. And that's a good one hour practice, two poses. Um, with variations of both, but it's really two poses. And those two poses balance the top three endocrine glands, the pineal, the pituitary, and the thyroid. So those three master glands dictate what the other four glands do and every other part of your physiology, every other part, brain function, you know, <clears throat> heart, heart rate, respiratory, everything comes from these glands. So I really believe that headstand and shoulder stand, especially after the first 10 years of practice, are very important. In the first 10 years of practice, you're really working on the limbs. You're working on opening up the limbs, the joints in the limbs, so that you can eventually get to strengthen the torso, and then you really strengthen it by getting up on the spine itself. Because most of the time, if we really analyze it, the skeleton holds the spine. When we're walking down the street, our skeleton is supporting the spine. When we do headstand and shoulder stand, our spine supports the rest of the body, supports the skeleton. Mm. Mm. That strengthens it. When you bring strength to the spine, that's when you're getting <clears throat> more to the core of an individual. That's what we want to do. We want to bring strength to the core of an individual. You know, people talk about core strength and they they immediately think of sit-ups and getting a strong abdomen. But that has very little to do with core strength. Your core, your center core is your spine and your visceral organs, mm. not the muscles at the surface of the body. That's peripheral. They're important, but just to really look at it, mm. if you dissected it layer by layer, the skin comes first, and then the connective tissue, and then the muscle tissue, and then the bone tissue, and then you get to the visceral, visceral organs. So... <clears throat> well, it's very clear how the asanas are fundamental and essential in building a relationship with our skin in these deeper layers of our being. 
So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, um, you know, the moving forward and segueing into a few more questions, you know, there's so much toxicity and stimulus. And as you said, distraction in the environment, in our own being, in the world today. And yoga is all about purification, decongestion, de- decongesting the body and our mind, right? And so how can we purify ourselves in the world today with the help of asana? What other facets can we integrate to purify ourselves? Well, when yoga first started, there wasn't the chemicals that there are now. So we didn't really have to deal with that. But there, there is a system called Kriya. A Kriya is a cleansing technique. And it's a way of cleaning the body. And I like to teach the Kriyas to help cleanse the body. But in this modern technological environment, I feel like we need even more. I feel like we need to be able to cultivate agents in our body that can bind the toxins that are inside our body from our environment and remove them. So a lot of that is diet. Now, if you go into any store, food store, there's more often an organic section, right? Or you'll see the term non-GMO. Organic and non-GMO are becoming more and more popular because people are realizing that there's less toxicity when those two words are associated with the food than there is if those two words are not. So they're becoming very popular and it's very important. But the standards for organic are lacking, just like the standards in yoga are lacking. The standards, there's no standards in yoga. There's, There's no accountability built into most yoga teacher trainings. Most yoga teacher trainings don't have an examination. They don't have an assessment. They don't have real students being taught by the individuals that are being assessed. So it's the same with organic food. To To get certified organic, I can't use any chemicals on my farm at all. I can't have treated wood on my farm. And I have to practice growing this product, this food, without the use of chemicals. But if chemicals were used 10 years ago on that property, those vegetables are still uptaking those chemicals that were used. And in the 30s and 40s and 50s, one of the most common antifungals being in Hawaii was lead arsenic. Oh, God. So every pineapple field that's now an organic farm 
has lead and arsenic in it. And both of them you can die from, right? Remember when they used to use lead paint and little kids would eat all that white? That's how they made white paint, with lead. And, and so kids, you know, little babies put anything in their mouth. And the toxicity, kids died from eating white paint because of the lead. And um, there's no accountability. So we need to source out ways to put not only organic, not only non-GMO foods in our body, but a balance of protein, vegetables, and carbohydrates into our body that have been tested and are non-chemical. They don't hold chemicals. Mm. So, you know, I, I would really love to see the organic community rise up and say, hey, we're growing this food with organic processes, but what's actually in the food? And how fast does the food get to the market? And how do we get the food to the market? You know, it's getting popular for restaurants, farm-to-table mm-hmm. restaurants. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're getting very popular, which is like they're going right from the farm, right into the kitchen, right to the table. But that food is still not being tested because it's very expensive to have these tests. And we have to figure out and devise some way for us to be able to test the food that we're calling organic. And presently, there isn't one. So to set new standards for both our food sources Mm. and to set new standards for yoga teacher training is extremely important because there's no accountability. There's no transparency and there's loopholes in all the certification programs now. In most of them, I should say. Mm. There are some with integrity. Mm. Yes. Yes. So in your experience of being a farmer for years, being um, someone who deeply cares, rightfully so, about what you're putting in your body as a human being, as a yoga teacher who, quote unquote from you, has gone into class starving and having to demonstrate and having to be present, but you don't want to be full. What have you found over the last, what, 34 years today that has supported you as a teacher, as a practitioner? What, what, what foods are you putting in your body that has helped you? Well, I've gone from being a vegetarian for, you know, most of my life. Um, at this point, I'm 64 years old. I've been a vegetarian for much more than half of my life. And um, a lot of times I found that I was waiting until 6 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock at night, depending on my classes, to eat. Maybe I would get a quick bite, you know, early. But usually... I went toward my yoga practice early. That's my orientation. 
and um, not a quick bite because it's important to practice empty. So after, after finding that vegetarianism really served me because I only have one kidney, mm. there's less protein in, in a vegetarian diet, so that was really good for my one kidney, me personally. And um, I found that I needed more. So I started looking towards superfoods. And at first I started with wheatgrass juice. Mm -hmm. And then I found blue-green algae. And then I found spirulina. And I started exploring these superfoods from different sources. And then one day a friend of mine says, Hey, you want to try these new superfoods? And I said, no, I've tried everything. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 this stuff is different. This is different. <laughs> this is... I said, what's different about it? Well, they said, it's organic. It's vegan. It's non-GMO. It's harvested, processed and dehydrated at 67 degrees on site, those things attracted me to explore this product. And not only all of those things, but then they said, and every batch is tested. Every batch is tested. So what's inside this dehydrated superfood has been tested. And this company that um, I'm talking about is called Purium. It's a company now that I'm very much associated with. Mm. And I advocate, especially yoga teachers, getting on Purium. Because it's, you can make a shake in two minutes mm -hmm. and drink it. And within 45 minutes, go teach your class, be neutrified and be empty. So that you, you can demonstrate any pose you want to demonstrate. You have really good energy. You, it's got zero glycemic level on that index. So it's even lower than sugar, than honey, mm. than maple syrup, than stevia. It's got zero mm. on the glycemic level because it's sweetened with lohan berry, which is the Chinese fruit of immortality. Mm. Um, and so I, this is what I've found for me. This is what serves me the most in my yoga teaching, especially in a situation like this now, where I start at 7 o'clock and I don't end until 4. And yes, I could have a meal in the middle of the day but then there's like in two and a half hours I'm going to be doing inversions so I'd rather not have a big meal maybe a little bit of food tiny bit something that will only take a short period of time to get through my stomach and to be well on its way 
through the digestive process. So um, I think superfoods is the way of the future. I think um, that we're going to find more and more that that's the way to detoxify the body. Mm. Wow. That's exciting. And I, I agree with you. You um, brought me here after my six months in Asia and you shared with me these amazing superfoods and they, man, they, I didn't have jet lag. It reset my, my digestive system after the Asian uh, health industry is very compromised. Um, and I compromise my own health. And yeah, I'm super grateful for all the, the potent real life nourishment and restoration these superfoods have uh, provided for me as well. So thank you. And to our listeners, if it's something that you want to share, I believe Eddie is more than happy to share this information with you on a more personal level. And oh, absolutely. You could um, contact me through e at eddiemodestini.com. Um, through the Instagram, Eddie Modestini Yoga, and from my Facebook page. Yeah, I'd be thrilled to explain more if you're inquisitive about these superfoods. I think they're a great source of nutrition. They're safe. They'll boost your energy 100%, and also they could help you treat many different maladies that are affecting us from this modern day and age. Mm. You know, most... I just... To give you an idea, in the year 1900, one out of 50 women contracted breast cancer before they passed on. In the year 2016, one in three women contracted breast cancer before they died. In the year 1900, there was one out of 70 men got prostate cancer before they passed on. Now, 95% of the men that reach 90 have prostate cancer. So the, the escalation and the scale of the curve of cancer in this country, in the world, is profound. And that includes other diseases like onset diabetes, Lyme's disease. There are so many maladies that affect the human physiology that can be supported in a creative way with superfoods, by superfoods. And so, in my idea, you know, <clears throat> purium is a combination of two words, pure and premium. And so, it's a premium product that is kept pure, dehydrated at a proprietary method of 67 degrees, and brought to you mm. with as little pressure on the environment as possible. Mm. So 
that's the kind of company I want to get behind. That's the kind of company I want to associate with. And I love Purium. I love the products. I love consuming them. At this point, I've tried almost everything they produce. I don't use everything they produce every day, but I use a lot of the products and I love, just love what it can do for you. Well, I feel so grateful to you for sharing so much wisdom with us from how to cultivate a personal practice, how to cultivate a lifestyle of yoga, and how to self-nourish ourselves through the choice of what we put in our bodies. And thank you so much for being willing to connect on a deep level with not only me, but yourself and the world to share your yoga, to share these superfoods, to change the world starting with yourself. Yep, I'm trying. I'm still practicing. I'm yeah. practicing the whole thing, you know, every day. I get on the mat, even if it's just one pose. Yes. <laughs> Most of the time, it's many More. poses. But, um, <laughs> you know, I have had those one pose days. <laughs> well, Eddie, I thank you. Thank you. From my heart to yours and all of our hearts. Namaste. Blessings. Namaskar. Yoga Revealers, it is such a pleasure to share the true heart and soul of yoga that Eddie Modestini has dedicated his life to. Eddie is teaching a teacher's intensive at Westside Yoga in Sebastopol, California, come September 2017. By mentioning Yoga Revealed, you will gain a close connection into Eddie's teachings. Email us via e at eddiemodestini.com to get connected. This is an opportunity to study with a teacher's teacher. I feel so blessed to be in a month-long intensive with Eddie and soaking up what he has to offer as a senior teacher. And this is your opportunity to meet him. If you feel called to get on a phone call with Eddie or myself about the superfoods that have changed our lives, feel free to get in touch by sending an email to alec at yogarevealed.com and mention Eddie Modestini Yoga Revealed Podcast and receive a $50 gift card. Until next time, my friends. Namaste, and spread the vibration of yoga through your personal practice by living yoga as your chosen lifestyle. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 